The Providence Journal presents Nick and Bob, the college basketball podcast for Rhode Island and around the nation with your hosts, Kevin McNamara and Bill Koch. Hello and welcome to the Providence Journal's Pick and Pop podcast, everything college basketball, both here in Rhode Island and around the country. This is Kevin McNamara with Bill Koch. Uh, Bill, just off the road from uh, yet another Rhode Island win on the road. Nice to see you. Kevin, great to be here as always. We'll we'll talk about our travels next week. We're both uh, scattered across the country, but it's that time of year in the sports world and in college basketball. Do want to start with the number 24 nationally ranked Rhode Island Rams. First, uh, First time in the poll since last year. Uh, knocking on the door for several weeks this year and finally got through and uh, played an excellent game in their very first game as a ranked team. Overwhelming Fordham, 78-58 at Rose Hill Gym. Uh, More of the same for the Rams uh, with maybe just a different star. This time it was Andre Berry, 9 for 12 from the field, 20 points. Uh, Jared Terrell, who I think is probably the front runner right now for the Atlantic 10's Player of the Year, uh, only shot three for eight from the field, but uh, continued his aggressive play. He got to the free throw line nine times and had 17. And uh, Stan Robinson has uh, certainly uh, been one of Rhodey's most consistent players, and he was the third player in double figures with 16. Uh, Bill, just a couple of takeaways from the, the Rams win over the Rams. Well, the beat goes on, as they say. Uh, you know, this is ninth straight on the conference road. Uh, 16 straight against conference opponents and 11 straight overall this season, which is their longest win streak in 70 years. Uh, It's hard to believe it's been that long. If you've seen one roadie game, you've kind of seen them all this year. Uh, 35 points off turnovers, which was a season high. Uh, You know, they forced Fordham into 23 giveaways in this game. And then Andre Berry, you really felt good for him. He grew up in West Hempstead, which wasn't far away. Uh, from the Bronx. Uh, he had a, a good amount of family members there. He said after the game he only gets five tickets. That's the standard player allotment. It may as well have been 25 people there uh, to watch Andre, and he really had a good night. Uh, Fordham, defensively, they, they had an interesting uh, way of playing against URI, which I haven't necessarily seen out of any other team. They allowed the big guys to catch the ball at the elbows, and they, were, they only concerned themselves with the secondary actions on the wings, the guards coming up to try and spot up or to drive or to cut to the rim. Uh, and they tried to force Andre Berry and Cyril Angevine and Nicola Kelly into decisions. Uh, and a few times, those weren't the greatest of decisions. In the second half, though, URI sort of picked up on offense a little bit. They started to find Berry at the rim. Uh, and that's double digits now in five out of his last six games. I would say if, if Jared Terrell is going to be the player of the year in the A-10, Andre Berry certainly on the short list for the most improved player in the A-10. And... Um, uh big takeaway for me was points in the paint where URI had 46 because I think most people who talk about the Rams but don't see them play say well you know inside they have their issues and again just look at what Andre Berry has done really all season but uh, in some of the bigger games of the year he's been a consistent at least offensive factor uh, and to have 46 points in the paint I don't know if that's a season high but that's uh, that's great production. No, no, very good. Uh, as you know, Kevin, all these guards can get to the rim off the dribble. Um, you know, and also points in the paint. 
when you can turn people over like that, you get out and run. And, and layups on the fast break count as points in the paint. Uh, so that's a little bit gratuitous as well. Uh, you know, but these guys, they, they just continue to go along very, very nicely here. Um, you know, they're just approaching it one game at a time. Dan Hurley said after practice on Thursday, you know, that they're just very locked in. And, and that sort of carried over from the last time they played Fordham last season, which was a 53-43 loss at home. Uh, you know, and that really sparked this team to life in a way. They won nine straight from there into the NCAA tournament. And this year they've won 16 of their first 19. It, it, it's really been impressive to see them transform into really the, the bully of the Atlantic 10 at this point. Oh, well, there's no two ways about it. They're the dominant team in the league. Uh, they led by uh, uh, only 12 with five and change to go. And that brings up my next question. The previous win at Dayton, probably their most impressive Atlantic 10 win thus far, just because it was on the road uh, at a perennial you know, top team in the league. Uh, very different outing there because offensively, uh, defensively, they weren't the usual Rhode Island and yet hung up 88 points. Uh, at Dayton, uh, were they pushed in that game? Uh, I want to see Rhode Island pushed and thrive under some pressure, and we just haven't seen that really since the start of league play. I think Dayton, they, they got a little bit of a push in the first half. Uh, you know, Dayton came out playing very well, shooting very well. They were 11 for 13 at one point in that game. But what URI has been able to do, in particular the last three or four games I've noticed, is they go on a run into halftime. They're finishing halves very, very well, and I think that's just a mark of an experienced team. They know when to put the foot on the gas. Uh, against Dayton, they were 14-5 into the break, and they ended up ahead 50-40. to Uh, They were trailing at at portions in that first half. They were struggling to stop uh, Dayton on defense. Josh Cunningham was having his way at the rim. Uh, you know, but eventually these guys just they just sort of find a way. They're very versatile. They're very resourceful, and they don't really get rattled. Uh, next test is a home game, which I understand if it's not a sellout, it's really close. Just a couple left. Yeah, you're talking which is about, great to see. You're talking about single tickets, obstructed view tickets. They're going to call it a sellout. Um, it's going to be the the first home game on uh, first home game as a ranked team on campus this season, and just the fourth since 2008. Uh, you know, so folks should really appreciate what they're watching here. Uh, and honestly, the, the last five games at the Ryan Center here to see these five seniors, they should be sent off with five straight sellouts. Yeah, Duquesne is the is the first up uh, test on Saturday. Uh, Bill, can you fill me in on, on who else comes into the Ryan Center? Because, uh, boy, it would be great to see a string of sellouts. Well, you got Duquesne coming in. Um, you know, then you're on the road for two games. Then you've got Davidson and Richmond back to back. You're on the road for two more, and then you've got Dayton and St. Joe's. Uh, you know, so on that list, Davidson, um, Dayton, and and maybe St. Joe's if they're healthy, if they have Charlie Brown back at that point. Mm. Those are all pretty decent opponents. They're all in the top half of the league. Uh, the game against Davidson is. You know, going to be important uh, from the standpoint that they play them twice the rest of the way, and, and that's probably the number two team in the league right now in, in terms of anyone who could spoil this for Rhode Island. Um, you know, and I, I just think that you know, playing at home, they haven't lost yet this year uh, at the Ryan Center. I'm knocking on wood right now. Sorry, Rhodey fans. I just put the whammy on you. Um, you know, but Duquesne is going to come in here under Keith Dambrot, his first year in from Akron. Um, you know, and, and they've done a really nice job in the league. Uh, they started 3-0 and in conference. A little bit of a surprise there. They've slipped back to earth a little bit at 5-3. and They played a really soft non-conference schedule, but I, I think it was smart in a way because whenever you're a new coach and you take over a program that had been struggling – 
you're not going to be an at-large team in the NCAA tournament. So you want to build some confidence among your players. And they did that. They were 9-4 and four in the non-league. Uh, and I think that that certainly carried over into league play when you win your first three games. You're feeling good about yourselves. And, and I think it showed so far for them. I totally agree. It's actually it's what uh, Patrick Ewing did at Georgetown. Yes, good comparison. You know, you know, the roof starts to fall in once league play comes. But uh, you'd hate to go into league play in a rebuilding situation and be, you know, 2-12. Two, two and 12. Agreed. Um, and, um, you know, excellent recruiting. I'm not quite sure uh, who got him early or who got him late, but um, Dan Brott may have the rookie of the year in the league in, in Eric Williams yep. to go along with last year's, you know, one of the better freshmen in the league in uh, in Mike Lewis. So, you know, Duquesne has some talent. I, I don't know if they have enough to run R- Rhode Island, but... Uh, you know, Rhodey's certainly going to have to play hard. Yep, some decent players there. You also have Terrence Smith, uh, the Nebraska transfer, who played at St. Anthony for Bob Hurley Sr. Uh, and then Renee Castro, the uh, Boston area product, uh, you know, is a transfer from Butler. He's playing pretty well so far early in the season. Um, you know, so some players there to worry you. They, they're undersized, which you know, would sort of play into Rhode Island's hands because they play that four-guard lineup too. Um, you know, but certainly you, you need to respect them. Uh, you know, Dan Hurley said Thursday he's well aware of Keith Dambrot because when Dambrot was at Akron, uh, Dan's brother Bobby was at Buffalo. So sure. they, you know, went head to head a few times in the MAC and, uh, you know, certainly respects uh, Keith's coaching ability and the way that he's got Duquesne, you know, a perennial sort of cellar dweller in the A10. He's got them up and running here in the middle class. You know, uh, I know you see a tiny bit of practice down there on uh, media availability days. I, I can only imagine how Dan Hurley is ap- approaching practice as his team, you know, builds up an undefeated record in the league. Because in some circumstances, you'd like to, you know, take the foot off the gas a little bit and make sure, you know, there's no injuries and make sure everyone's, you know, fully healthy and ready to go. But yet, if I'm not, quote, being pushed, and, and that's that's a generalization, that's not really true, but certainly by final scores, it appears that way. I can just see a coach like Hurley beating them up in practice a little bit, just, just to say, "Hey, hey fellas, uh, you know, you may be seven, eight, and zero in the Atlantic Ten, but the big games." He's almost coaching for the NCAA tournament now. Well, you know, the funny thing is, I was on with Andy Grash last night in WPRO, and, and he asked a similar question. And I said, for Dan, it's probably... Was it a little more salty than my question with Gresh? <laughs> Yours might have been a little better worded. Okay. Uh, sorry, Greshy. Yeah. Um, you know, but uh, Dan, maybe from a genetic standpoint might be able to approach this well because Bob Hurley Sr. coached in plenty of 40, 50, 60-point wins at St. Anthony. Sure did. And still had those guys ready to play night in and night out. If, if there was ever going to be a head coach who was going to be able to keep his team focused and locked in despite the fact that they're running teams off the floor, it would be Bobby or Dan Hurley, I, I would think. Oh, that's an excellent point. I didn't think of it that way. I, I used to have a... Uh, a college coach friend who used to say, ah, Bob Hurley, he's in the Hall of Fame, but he had three tough games a year. Right. Uh, which in some years was the case, but that's just because his roster was so loaded. Uh, not necessarily the opponent, but uh, uh, certainly uh, if anyone's used to winning, you know, coaching with winning, and, and obviously Dan certainly had that capability at uh, St. Benedict's as well. You know, and he's setting internal goals for this team. Like the other night, his halftime interview against Fordham, uh, I think he said to Kristen Balboni, who was on the uh, she was on the sideline mic for Stadium Sports. He said, "We want to hold them to forty five points in the game." Which mm-hmm. you look and you say, 
geez, that sounds ridiculous, you know, trying to hold the team to 45 points. But he'll put those internal goals on the whiteboard. Uh, you know, he'll say, like going into Duquesne, he'll say, you know, we want to hold Mike Lewis and Renee Castro to 18 points to 16 points, which might be 10 or 15 below their average, mm-hmm. let's say, just you know, hypotheticals, just pulling out of the air. And the outsider might look and say, well, this guy's crazy. You know, no one can think that his team is going to be able to do that. He is setting his own exacting standards that go beyond the final score, and I think that's gone a long way towards driving this group. Mm-hmm. I'm going to switch uh, to the Providence Friars, who uh, do not play this weekend. They are in a Big East bye week, uh, coming off uh, their toughest loss of the season uh, at Villanova, 89-69. Number one Wildcats had it rolling really on both ends of the floor. Uh, a very impressive performance, I thought, by the Wildcats. that They started out slowly with Providence going up by nine, and then a 22-2 run uh, in the first half. That'll do it. Uh, gave the uh, Wildcats a nine-point halftime lead, and they scored 50 in the second half to, to you know win going away. Uh, first time for me to see Villanova in person. We'll see them again when they return to Providence on uh, Valentine's night. But uh, very impressive team. Suffered a big loss, I think, in that game when Phil Booth, their uh, starting two guard, mm-hmm. fractured his hand. Yes. Uh, could be out right uh, up until March. It'll be in- interesting to see when they can get him back uh, in the lineup. But uh, Jalen Brunson, uh, Mikel Bridges, both going to the NBA. I think Bridges is a definite first-round pick. Brunson, just, just, he just looks like an NBA backup point guard. Yep. Uh, and I can see him doing that next year. <clears throat> and then uh, the big guys inside, which I think gives them a different look than they've had in the last couple of years. Omari Spellman is the best freshman in the, in the Big East, and um, Demir Cosby Roundtree is uh, another freshman who's uh, kind of rounding into shape. Uh, not sure if you saw any of that game, Bill, but Villanova's that the, the, they're if they're not the best team in the country, they're certainly in the discussion. No, I watched it, and uh, you know, it, my thought going in was, you know, Providence started the game; they they needed to get off to a good start. That was what I had in mind, mm-hmm. and they did. They were up by nine early, and and then all of a sudden, Villanova turned into Villanova. Uh, and and just the main takeaway for me, whenever you play good teams, especially a number one team in the country, every mistake that you make gets punished, and and right. Villanova seems to do that just about every time. The other takeaway for me is that generally on most nights, Providence will have a marked advantage at the point guard position with Kyron Cartwright. That's their greatest strength, I think. Villanova has a guy who can blunt that with Jalen Brunson. He can play Cartwright to a standstill, and he did in this game. Uh, you know, the points were 15 Brunson, 12 Cartwright. The big stat for me, though, was Cartwright had six turnovers in this game. Four. Uh, four turnovers in this game, I'm yep. sorry. Yep. Um, you know, and that's just too many. A lot of those were in the second half when Villanova was sort of pulling away. And I think led to direct runouts, yes. which is really what Villanova does. They had uh, 19 points off turnovers, speaking to your point. Um, and, you know, Providence, Ed Cooley gambled, I think, a little bit in the first half. Uh, when Kyron Cartwright got two fouls in the first four minutes. Uh, he took him out, which is understandable. Things didn't really change, so, you know, Cartwright stayed on the bench. And yet when the, uh, when the wall started to fall in, uh, Cooley did put Cartwright in yeah. and, and didn't pick up a third. You, you wonder, and, and, you know, it's tough to go away from your principles, and Cooley, you know, consistently doesn't put guys with two fouls back in the game in the first half. But you know, you're up nine. You could could you have been up fifteen if Kyron Cartwright stays in the game? Right. Tough to tell. And uh, you know, that was the that twenty two two run that just t- turned the game around. You know, and you're looking at 
if they're going to beat an elite opponent, like what Cartwright did in the second half against Butler, for example, um, you know, where Kamar Baldwin got him in the first half, and then in the second half, Cartwright just dominated the game. He was the best player on the floor, and, and I don't think it was a coincidence that Providence came back at that point and ended up knocking Butler off here at home. Um, you know, Brunson just isn't going to allow you to do that. And the other thing that I saw in this game, um, you know, was when Cartwright did go to the bench, Makai Ashton Langford and Drew Edwards are just not ready to play in a game like that. They're just not. I, I don't know uh, if I've seen Makai have less confidence in a game than he did the other night. Uh, you know, And you know he's a talented guy. He's a top 50 recruit. We've seen him play well. Um, but right now he just looks lost. And, and I think you know, if Cartwright isn't playing 35, 38 minutes a night, if he gets into foul trouble of any kind or if he submits, you know, say, a B or a B-plus instead of an A, I struggle to think that Providence is going to beat anyone who you could classify as elite. I totally agree. Uh, he's Cartwright is invaluable, and uh, Makai has a confidence problem right now. It's not nothing with the you know to ability. Uh, I think defensively, he's letting guys go by him, which is probably most concerning to uh, Ed Cooley. And then offensively, he really hasn't had a chance to, to, to do much in a while. No. And uh, a lot of that is because Cartwright has been so good. But truth be told, if Makai was playing better, he would gladly play the two of them together, which was, was always right. a, a bit of a plan coming into the season. Uh, now Malik White is back and playing pretty well in his first two games back from a, from a leg injury. So I think we'll probably see more of White at the point. But uh, your point's well taken. Both Ashton Langford and Drew Edwards have to be able to give them something off the bench. Something. Yeah, Anything. just a little bit. And at less than 10 minutes combined because right. uh, Cartwright will certainly play 30-plus minutes in any game where he's out of foul trouble. The other takeaway on Villanova before we wrap is uh, they are a very dangerous three-point shooting team. Yes. They came into the game, uh, I believe it was nine of the previous 10, uh, with 10 or more three-pointers. Uh, 17 maybe against uh, Georgetown, 15 against um, uh, Connecticut in the previous two games. So Providence, quote, held them to 12. Right. Uh, right. But one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, six guys hit three-pointers. So it's that balance. And when you have guys who can pass the ball like a Jalen Brunson, they're going to get open threes. They're, they're the number one team in the nation in terms of offensive efficiency per Ken Palm. 128 points per 100 possessions. That's pretty good. Uh, effective field goal percentage, 60.6, which means you are making three-pointers and you are making buckets at the rim. Uh, that's also number one in the country. They shoot 41.7% from three, which is sixth in the country uh, as we tape this podcast. Uh, you know, just a very, very impressive offensive team. And you really need to play an A game to beat them. Uh, you know, and Providence probably played an A for the first 12 minutes or so, but sure. you need a full 40 to beat those guys. Especially on the road. Yes. And, uh, I, I will say that it seemed to me that uh, because of those snippets, they also, Providence also came out for the second half and played well, cut the uh, deficit to three. I, I think they did come home with some takeaways to say that when Villanova comes back here, we can play with these guys. Uh, it wasn't as if it was a total blowout from end to end and you know, you leave shaking your head, say, well, you know, they're on a different level. Right. And, um, you know, Providence is going to need a win like that uh, at home against Villanova or a road win. They don't play again until uh, Wednesday at Seton Hall. Yep. They play at Seton Hall. They play at Xavier. They play at Butler. Uh, they're going to need a road win against an NCAA-level team, I-, I think, to make it over the top in, in their at-large uh, you know, candidacy. 
which is still building. They're in good a good spot right now, but they have work to do. And uh, you know, a road win. They only have one road win as we speak, but a road win against an NCA team is really something that uh, can differentiate them. Yeah, I think right now they they are in decent shape. Uh, you know, as you said, they're. Um you know, as we sit here right now, they're 54 in Ken Palm. They've got seven top 100 Ken Palm wins, uh, which is good. But, you know, to your point, none of those are on the road. Well, one of those is on the road against St. John's. We don't expect St. John's to end up in the top 100 by the end of the year. They're, they're just floundering at this point. Uh, they have a neutral court win against Washington, who is 99 in Ken Palm. So you, you wonder whether or not they can be able to stay there. Mm. They're going to have opportunities here. Uh, you know, obviously at Seton Hall, I, I think that's a game that they can win. Um, you know, at Marquette, who knows if you can keep Marcus Howard under wraps, you, you might have a chance to take that one. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then you're going to have a chance, uh, you know, at Butler, I think, a team who you've already beaten. Uh, Hinkle Magic is, is a real thing. That's a difficult place to go. But those are probably the three, quote unquote, most winnable games away. Uh, you know, going to Xavier will be a very tall order, and going to Georgetown as a team outside the top 100. Uh, that's sort of one of those games where you're just going to have to hold serve. Have to win. Have to win that one. Exactly. Um, Bill, I'm going to hop off the uh, college hoop bandwagon for a week. I know you're going to pick up a little more responsibility. Next week uh, you will be a roadie home game. Uh, it's going to be a fun week for me. Uh, Tuesday, roadie will be at UMass. Yes. Wednesday, Providence will be at Seton Hall. And then Friday, Rhodey will be at VCU. Uh, I will be at all three of those games. Uh, I will be traveling by car, by rail, and by plane. Uh, in that order, actually. <laughs> um, you know, and very much looking forward to it. Uh, it'll be my first visit to the Siegel Center on Friday night to mm. see URI at VCU. A rematch of the A-10 championship game uh, will be the hundred and something straight sellout at the Siegel Center. Kevin, I know you've been there. You've seen the Peppas in full glory, uh, you know, and just that black and gold mob that gonna, fills that place. You're going to see three v- very different college basketball <laughs> yes. environments. Yes. Uh, I would imagine up at UMass, you'll see half-filled on-campus arena. Yep. Then you'll go uh, to Newark and uh, watch a basketball game in a hockey rink right? where the Devils play, New Jersey Devils. And, you tell me and, it's cold there? I should uh, dress accordingly? We Bring a sweater. Okay. Bring a sweater. Uh, and, and Seton Hall uh, draws fair. Uh, if they get 10,000, I think I'd be surprised. I got to say, they over Thanksgiving at the Barclays Center, they were poor. You or I just about outdrew them well, uh, in Brooklyn on a neutral court. That was a surprise to well, me. Well, they're not going to go from New Jersey to Brooklyn. That's much too far. I, I mean, heaven forbid, right? And then uh, you'll have a jam-packed house for the v- at VCU. Yes. So it'll be a great environment. Uh, I'm yes. going to go to a football game in Minnesota uh, that unfortunately takes a week to get ready. <laughs> it's called the Hype Bowl. Uh, well, features uh, the New England Patriots and the Philadelphia Eagles. As you described it, though, when you came back from, uh, I think it was Houston last year, right? Houston, yeah. You said, imagine holding the biggest football game of the year in conjunction with a week-long convention, because that's basically what it is, side by side. It, it sounds bizarre to me. It is, uh, and uh, I think this this year is double bizarre, and we'll be writing about it, because the teams and the media don't have to set foot in downtown Minneapolis until kickoff. Really? Everything is out at the Mall of America. Oh, baby. The largest mall in the country. I've never been to the Mall of America. I've been to downtown uh, Minneapolis. It's fun. It's a good Midwestern city. It's damn cold in February. I can guarantee that. But I went to a Final Four, and Bobby Hurley was in the game. 
was that 91? Like 91. They played Michigan. Michigan. Fab, yes. The Fab Five. Scuffled in the first half, and then the second half blew them out. Now, the trick is, who else was in that final four? And I can think of the third, well, the fourth team. I know who Michigan beat. They beat Cincinnati. Cincinnati not is with the Nick one, Van Exel, correct? Cincinnati is the one, I, and Bob Huggins, more important. Bob Huggins. But I'm trying to think who the fourth one was. So Duke beat Kansas, maybe? Kansas doesn't ring a bell. Not Kansas? 1991 Final Four. Bill, that's a lot of games ago. That's a me. lot of games ago. I understand that. But but now you've piqued my interest. I remember and doing so now a, we're gonna look uh, this up. a uh, Jalen Rose column because oh, he, was he was Jimmy son Walker's Jimmy Walker, son. Yes, correct. So that was an easy hook there. And, uh, and of course, uh, the Fab Five did not get it done. Sorry. But, uh, this was the 1992 Final Four. 92 in Minneapolis. Uh, let's see. 92... We had Duke beating Indiana. Indiana. That would have been oh, Calvert. It was, the, it was the great. It was the great Bob Knight. That would have been Calvert Chaney's Indiana. I would imagine. Um, well, I, I can't remember if uh, Knight brought the whip to that uh, press conference or oh. not. That was a famous. He brought the chair and the whip to one press yes, conference. Yes, yes. Don't know if that was uh, my first Bob Knight exposure, but uh, it could have been. <laughs> was it your first Bob Huggins exposure? Because it oh, wasn't yes. your last. Oh yes. How outstanding was. was he? He was in, in prime condition back then. He was in his probably late thirties. Uh, a little meaner and definitely thinner. You know, oddly enough, uh, that Indiana team. You know, yes, they had Calvert Chaney, but they also had a guard by the name of Greg Graham, who is now the boys' basketball coach at Barrington High School. Wow. How's that for trivia? I like that. Right? I like that. Well, we'll have to go ask him some Bobby Knight stories uh, after uh, the Super Bowl gets done. Greg, Greg Graham will have some nice tales. Uh, absolutely. Good. No question. Bill, uh, happy travels, and uh, we'll talk uh, sooner or later. Same to you, Kevin. Sounds good.